This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y L-I-K-E-Y-O-U-R-S dot C-O-M for links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, I chat with Charlie. Charlie is a fellow podcast host who grew up in a dysfunctional family. His mother and father were more concerned with selling drugs and chasing the next high than with raising their children. Fortunately, Charlie survived his youth and grew to become a great father and family man. Listen in as Charlie tells his story with a dash of humor and what would otherwise be a depressing tale. Here is Charlie's story. My name is Charlie. I'm 32 years old, and I live in Garden City, Michigan. The first thing I think that is worth giving a preface to is my mom. She was a sexual abuse survivor. I'm not going to dive into the specifics of that, but it affected her kind of a a way that, you know, you kind of carry that throughout your life. So just to give a little context uh, on some of the craziness that that I grew up on, my dad's family was a whole different story, but nothing that specific. I guess it's it's worth going into my childhood to kind of give a background into – some of the craziness that I grew up in and some of the stuff that I used to do, like, um, I mean, it's mostly anecdotal stuff. I mean, it's not one clear narrative, you know, everybody grows up and, um, you know, you experience a lot of the same stuff, you know, you go to, go to school, go to your different grades, that kind of stuff. But, uh, mine was kind of punctuated with a lot of weird stuff. Um, if anybody listening is from a small town, kind of know that those places kind of can breed some weird people and weird events. So with that information, I had some parents that came from some rough backgrounds, and uh, I guess you could say they did their best. But what ended up happening with that was, um, I mean, a bunch of events, I guess you could say. Um, One of the standout ones was uh, that there was once a a SWAT team raid on my house. Uh, As a kid, my mom had become a drug dealer (laughs) in the town that we're from, and – she had gotten quite good at it to the point where they wanted to shut that down. So they did the full raid. They dropped down, you know, on ropes, kicked the doors in, dogs, the whole nine yards. Um, so, but just to give a context of some of the weirdness of this, it's like uh, my mom kind of came from, uh, you know, a rough, a rough childhood. So I mean, it's it's not unheard of for somebody like that to get involved into, uh, you know, some criminal behavior, but that was sort of the culmination of a lot of that was a big drug bust on her. But um, so the way that that was handled um, was uh, my brother was there for it. He was in the house. I was at school and had to come get picked up. You know, I go over to my grandma's house and uh, I don't know what's going on. You know, not a lot of people, you know, explain anything like that to children. I was, I had to be six, somewhere around that age, five or six. I get home from school it was one of those things. You're a kid. You're excited to get out of school early. You don't know what's going to happen. It could be something fun, um, and nobody's telling me anything. But you know, a few hours go by, and then I go back home, and there's an entire fleet of cop cars. I mean, completely surrounding uh, the house. There's there had to be ten to fifteen cop cars out there, and my parents are out there talking to them and what have you. And I go inside, and me being a curious kid, I just you know ask my parents, "Hey guys, what's going on?" And so they take a very serious matter, and my dad just tells me that 
we had been robbed. And so I go inside, start checking out everything in the house. You know, I, I open the microwave and uh, I'm, I'm just looking around seeing everything's there. And I go back out and tell my dad, you know, hey, we still have all our stuff. How do we get robbed? And so he he comes up with another tale where he just says, oh, when you get robbed, all the police just buy you new stuff. So I go back into the house and start looking through everything again and I'm just making up justifications for myself in my head where I'm like, you know, the microwave is brighter than it used to be. My Nintendo, I don't have to blow on the cartridges. So just making up all these rationalizations in my head for why we have all the same stuff. But my dad just said we got robbed. So, you know, I'm piecing those things together. And that translated into like for years, I'm in sitting there as a kid in my head going through and piecing together a setup for myself to make a fake robbery on myself to get a bunch of stuff that I never had. I'm sitting there thinking I'm going to get a bunch of stuff and I, I'm a kid. I don't know about receipts. I don't know about, you know, how they're going to prove this stuff. But in my head, I'm like, they're going to want me to prove it. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll write down a list of a bunch of stuff I don't have and I'll sign it. I'll date it. And then I'll just keep it. Right. And then I'm like a year or two, three will go by. I'll call in. A, hey, I got robbed. I got this list. Cause I'm like, oh, you know, if they have a way to analyze and find out, you know, when, when it was done or if I faked it or something like that, they, it'll come back real from that time period. So I'm thinking that's how I'm going to get a whole bunch of stuff and literally would just go through these details on getting a bunch of stuff for, for a few years as a kid. Um, just a bunch of weird happenings. Like my parents tried to kill each other before. Um, one of them tried to run the other one over one of them knocked the other one out and uh, it, was, it was a whole situation. But these are the type of people that I guess didn't necessarily understand what they were doing or how to not bleed that into a child's life. You know what I mean? Um, they kind of are the type of people that eh, they had a lot of parties and they didn't care that there were kids there. I mean, they did, but they didn't. They were the type of people who, you know, have a party and we can just go in the other room and they're all drinking and doing drugs and gambling. But the caveat to that is I was learning how to pour beers for people like a party trick, you know? Um, my parents taught me how to gamble. So this was like one of the things that they used to do. So my parents' friends would come over, and it was just quarters, just a friendly game. But they'd be gambling, and you know, the more everyone's getting drunk and what have you, the more, you know, the more bad decisions they're gonna make. But my parents taught me how to play blackjack, uh, a game called AC Doocy, if you're familiar with it, and a bunch of other like you know, casino games you can play at home. And so what they would do is at the end, I, my mom would start pumping me full of quarters. So I would come to the table as a little kid who's like, I'm going to make this money gambling with a bunch of drunk adults. And I would start to double down on my bets. I'm a seven-year-old kid. They're doubling down on a blackjack game, getting two hands going. And the reason was my mom gave me the money because she understood that she was increasing her odds that we were going to win that pot <laughs> because I was the one playing as a sober person and I would win a bunch of those times. So it was almost like a little scam where I would be going and sitting down at the table with adults and playing, you know, card games. It's not like it was a scam scam, but like at the same time, you have a kid who knows how to gamble and is sitting down completely sober playing against a bunch of adults. Half the time I would take home more money than I than my mom was ended up giving me. And the only deal was we'd have to split the, the pots that I won. Hi, this is Brad. And this is Katie. And we're the hosts of Decomposition, Decomposition Podcast. Podcast. I think 
considering the material we're working with, that language was neither shocking nor inappropriate. It's upsetting and delightful. Much like this song. Uh, No, this is just rhyming nonsense. Yeah. Here to hyper-analyze all your favorite terrible songs. From Billy Joel to Taylor Swift. And Pitbull to Kiss. We break down what makes these songs so, so good. While they're so, so bad. This is a postmodern commentary on human existence. Mm. Billy Shakespeare did write a whole bunch of sonnets. 154 to be exact. I am not suggesting that this is a good or artistic song in any way. It's not good, but but it's it's great. great. You can find us at decompositionpodcast.simplecast.fm or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Check out our new episodes every Monday and remember, they're not guilty pleasures if you don't feel guilty. Like uh, I had told you before, we had a situation, not a situation, um, but a tradition where every year we were going to a church to take our Christmas tree for the year. Um, Like uh, they had shown up in, it was just nighttime, Christmas Eve. We show up in a car, it's snowy, it's dark, it's, you know, nine, ten o'clock, usually about nine, ten o'clock, yeah. Uh, and then they show up and just go into the yard and take a Christmas tree, and then we put it in the trunk and drive away. And the way I find that this is not normal behavior is, you know, coming into adulthood and trying to figure out how do I buy a Christmas tree? Because I'm not used to the normal process where, you know, you just go and buy a Christmas tree and take it home. So they're I'm at, at my mom. They're at the okay, church. They're, they're so, at the church. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm sitting there going through my head one day at my mom's house. I'm like 23. Uh, and, and just going through the motions in my head, like, how the fuck do I get a Christmas tree? I don't, I don't know. You know, it's your first time. You're like, you don't want to sound stupid. So then I'm going through in my head, just thinking through all the times that we went and did it as a kid. And I'm like, it was always nighttime. There was never anybody there. And they always went into a gate. Like sometimes they'd hop the fence and get back there and take the Christmas tree. And so I'm sitting there and I go to my mom. Hey, did we steal Christmas trees as a kid? She's like, yeah, you didn't know that? I'm like, no, because that's not how you presented it to any of us. (laughs) We're sitting in the car just waiting for what's going on. And, you know, that's not not what happens. I guess a good way to put it is something like this. Do you want to hear a funny knock-knock joke? Sure. Start one out. Knock-knock. Who's there? Me. (laughs) That's my whole childhood. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bunch of like, wait, what the hell? That's not how it's supposed to go. Uh, like, um, my dad used to drive us around and we would go to a Salvation Army after we had garbage picked some things. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with what garbage picking is, garbage picking is when you drive around on garbage day to find anything that's too nice to be thrown away and that can be easily reused in your own or anyone else's home that's looking for something, uh, like that to have. So, we would go and pick out, you know, something of a roughly similar value to something that my dad had seen dropped off at the Salvation Army in the drop-off zone. So there's like a section outside. If anybody, if they don't have Salvation Armies all over the place, it's a, it's like a secondhand store. Um, they sell used clothing, used, you know, shoes, um, just a lot of used secondhand items that are still good. Uh, people donate them, and you can write them off on your taxes and whatnot. But then the, the store will sell them. So when you drop them off outside a long time ago, it used to be that you would just go there and drop them off and they would sit outside for a period of time. And so this is like, I guess, just a way to cover up their bad behavior. But um, they then told me my father, we we would go, we would get something from the garbage. We'd go to the Salvation Army. And this is the thing. I just explained what Salvation Army is. I didn't know that until I was an adult. I did not know that there was an inside to the store because we would just go around and garbage pick something and take it up to the Salvation Army, drop it off. And my dad said that you drop something off and take it. It's sort of like a trading post. And he said that's how it worked, that you just get something that, and that we were just – we just found a trick where we could go get it from the garbage and didn't have to give them some of the stuff from our house. So that was the justification for it. So – it's another situation where in my head, I, you know, I'm just getting my driver's license when I'm 16, 17 years old. And this is my – I think that's just how those places work. So you know, you don't think about all the little stuff that's weird about when you're a kid. When I'm driving past uh, a Salvation Army looking at 
stuff in the drop-off zone just going, hey, I wonder if I could go find something in the garbage to trade for that. You know, you don't think about that that's just not how it works until you find out as a 17-year-old when you tell your friends, hey, I found this lamp in the garbage and they got a sweet one up at the the Salvation Army. Let's go get it and swap it out. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? And, and I'm just dumbfounded. Like, what do you mean? What am I talking about? This is just how it works. You know, and they're like, no, no, it, 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 it's not even close. So then I have to find out entirely how a Salvation Army works. And that, that, that's not how I'm going to furnish my first apartment. <laughs> it's, they're bartering at Salvation Army. Uh, there's just a, a series of misfortunes. My parents were, I guess, just doing the best that they could, you know. But one of the funny things that did come out of my my parents getting busted at the, the, the SWAT team thing is that uh, I ended up getting tricked into doing all my mom's community service. Like uh, she ended up not going to jail because she was she was able to convince them not to send her to jail because she had three kids and was a stay at home mom. Uh, air quotes, heavy air quotes there as I'm saying that, and and that's because she did stay home, but she slept most of the day uh and did a lot of her work at night but and i'm not i'm not saying she's a prostitute you know i'm not saying anything like that i'm not even close not even implying that i'm saying at night she was just a night person you know what i mean so like that sort of left us to sort of raise ourselves i mean the lessons that we did get were maybe beyond the years that we should have taken them on i mean i shouldn't have known how to pour a beer with no foam when i was seven you know, it's it's a little party trick where you know the the drunk adults give you a dollar and you do it and you dance for the for the dollar, but you get that you you know you get a little money to spend on candy and that's that's what childhood is. But then there comes a certain point where you start to realize how crazy all of that was. You start to realize that when you were going and doing all these Meals on Wheels deliveries with your mom, that you she just told you she goes. Oh, you care about old people, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, let's do this. It's you know, it'll make us feel good. It's good community work. So I'm like, okay. And then we go through, and we. She's just the driver for the Meals on Wheels. I'm the delivery guy. I'm picking them up, dropping them off to every house, and getting out and doing all the uh, you know the collections and whatnot, and doing whatever you got to do. And so I'm just thinking I'm being a good Samaritan as a kid, and then come to find out as an adult, all those earrings we were making, all those projects we were doing, was my mom tricking me into doing the community service because she didn't want to do it. Which, it's a funny story now, but I mean, I guess I don't feel bad for delivering meals to to elderly people. But, you know, it was a surprise to me that I was duped. But that kind of childhood just sort of gives you a weird, a weird sense of normal. Um, you know, you don't really, you don't really get phased by a lot of stuff because you've seen a lot of stuff. Like, um, shortly, not shortly after the, the drug raid, but when I was about 12, my parents ended up getting divorced. And so, you know, you take someone who was previously a stay-at-home mom, um, was at one point selling drugs to support their family. Um, not to necessarily support their family. My dad worked. He worked full-time. It's just the things that we afforded beyond our means were, were most likely from drug money. You know what I mean? We should, you know, <laughs> with what my dad was working, we wouldn't have had two cars, cable, a, a three-wheeler that they're fixing up, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I mean, it just seems like that, you know, a, a single-person income. But then again, you know, maybe inflation. I don't know. But um, you get to a point where, you know, you start realizing how weird all of that stuff was when you start to talk to other people and they didn't, they didn't do some of this stuff. Like they, like, um, there was a time I was 12 and my mom, so she, again, she was messed up from being a sexual abuse survivor. Um, so she didn't have, she had a lot of mental problems that I guess never were really resolved with her. So when my parents get divorced, you know, she's doing stuff like I'm 12 and I'm sitting there at home having to watch my brother, my sister, um, her girlfriend's kids. So that was another two children, but I'm 12 myself just sitting there kind of raising some children as a, as a child. Um, at one time I was 12 years old and I got a call at front, you know, my mom would leave her cell phone. This was when cell phones were first coming out. Um, so she would leave her cell phone and then go out with her girlfriend to the bars down in the local area. And uh, they would, 
usually wind up home by one or two, depended. But I was the one that was at home watching the kids. But one night I get a call and I had to go walk up to the bar as a 12 year old and pick her up and drive her home because, you know, she didn't handle herself that well. It, it, it just is a, a series of things that you're not old enough for, you know, uh, you're just sort of thrown into a world of adults, but not even normal adults. It's a world of weird adults who don't know what they're doing but think they do. And I guess you could say that that's describing most of, you know, the world today. Um, but you just sort of realize things at a certain point that that was all craziness. Like, um, so when my parents got divorced, there was leading into my teenage years where, you know, everybody starts to rebel. One of the rebellions that I had found was punk rock. It was to me sort of a savior to me. Um, I mean, it, I started at that point was kind of realizing that things that my parents had done were insane. Like the, the lies, the criminal behavior, the nights leaving us by ourselves, the, just all of the, you know, the verbal abuse, the physical abuse, the things that, that, that you don't understand as a kid you start to become aware of at a certain point. And that's when I was finding out about, about punk in the Detroit area um, that like, I didn't have to be like my parents, you know, transitioning into my teenage years. I mean, this is another thing. When I was a kid, I had gotten into my own criminal behavior. You know, I'm 12 years old taking after my parents. I start smoking cigarettes. I start stealing things from the store because uh, when my parents got divorced again, their money's all tied up in that. So now all of a sudden the little money that we did have since my mom had stopped selling drugs was, you know, we just had a lot less money um, than we even had before. Not to say that we had a lot to begin with, but it went to a point where we had at one point we were living seven people in a two bedroom apartment um, and we, neither of the parents had jobs. We were getting food from the church. Not, not, not like the Christmas trees we were getting where we'd show up on Christmas Eve and just start, uh, taking them down. Cause they're not going to need them the next day. Um, we would go to the church food drives and whatnot. That's how we got a lot of, uh, the stuff that we had when, when my parents first got divorced. So when you find something where it's like, you're realizing how crazy it is that that's that that these people let you play with lawn jarts and i ended up stabbing a kid in the head with it uh at, a, at a, when i was 10 like it's the the those types of behaviors like we really were kind of just out there by ourselves again he got stabbed in the head and they didn't even take him to the hospital they just put a band-aid on the top of his head and told him uh they're, they're like yeah, you'll be all right and he just walked around with a band-aid on the top of his head, just like uh, he had short hair because they just got done treating for lice and he had short hair. So they just stuck band-aids on top of his head and he walked around like that for a month. So the legend is true then. Well, yeah, the legend is true. Yeah, lawn jarts are definitely a dangerous thing. Um, they're sharp. They're really sharp and heavy. So, like, these were the real ones. That's why I was kind of, even when they let me play with them as a child was like, ah, should I be doing this? You know? But then, then again, I'm the same kid who at that same time, my parents had bought me a butterfly knife. <laughs> so I'm learning how to do butterfly knife tricks in my room with stuff. So I didn't, I'm like, Oh, I can handle it. I can handle it. Then I end up stabbing a kid in the head and feel terrible about it. it, it it's like, uh, that's the environment you come from and you sort of raise yourself. And then you get to a point where, you realize, oh, we're poor people. Oh, we're this is not normal stuff that people do. Um, but then realizing that you don't have to be that way was like that. That's what punk rock taught me from a in a young age. It was that you know the the fuck the system kind of thing. You know what I mean? In this case, my parents were the system. You know, my upbringing was was the system. I mean, it's not again. I'm not saying I had like a terrible upbringing. Like my experience of it wasn't terrible. You know what I mean? There were a lot of good times. There were a lot of fun times. You know, there was a lot of 
them leaving fireworks unattended and then us blowing them up on the back porch and having a blast. And there was a lot of, you know, uh, Hey, we'll give you, we'll give you five cents per cigarette butt that you pick up out of the backyard. And we, I knew where all the cigarettes were from the local bars that dumped them out in the back. So I would go fill up the bag with a bunch of those from the bar and bring them back. And she would just cave in and give me 20 bucks. But this is the time in my life where I'm starting to realize I can do something different. Um, so I try to clean my act up. You know, I stop stealing. I stop smoking cigarettes. I, I get into the straight edge lifestyle. I mean, it, for what it is, I respect it. There's nothing I don't – it's just something that kids don't understand. Um, and I say that with because there's a big problem in the straight edge world about when people will say that they're straight edge and then stop being straight edge. And it upsets a lot of people. But those same people as you get older in life and realize that it's not a decision that you can just make as a child. You know what I mean? I mean some people can. Hi, I'm Mark, and I'm one of the hosts of Massive Late Fee. Do you remember Blockbuster? Well, we do, and we racked up a lot of late fees there. That's why we're glad there's things like Netflix, Hulu, and Blockbuster has died, mostly because of us. We cover streaming shows and pretty much whatever we want. Join us every Thursday as we talk TV and movies on Massive Late Fee. You can find us at Massive Late Fee on Twitter, Massive Late Fee on Facebook. You can email the show at MassiveLateFee at gmail.com. Gmail.com, and you can find us at MySpace, Massive Late Fee. Massive Late Fee, the best podcast we can think of. Explain what Straight Edge is. So Straight Edge is a, is a subculture where uh, you swear off drugs, alcohol, smoking. Um, a lot of people swear off promiscuity, um, and it's a very popular subculture in the punk world. Um, and it's sort of like a political stance sometimes like uh i'm not going to cloud up my mind with a lot of people take it further than just drugs and alcohol they're not going to pollute their mind with tv they're not going to pollute their bodies with with meat they're not going to pollute their bodies with uh, anything else that you could sort of make this argument for there are some people in the straight edge world that goes so deep as to they don't even take aspirin like there was literally there's 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 a a man in a band who busted his head open on a speaker and had to go to the hospital and get stitches refused aspirin before he got the stitches. Like he was that into his body being pure and him not, you know, being a, a not compromised person. It sounds culty and things like that, but it, it really is just sort of a uh, personal thing. Like you, you don't want to do things that are harmful to your body you don't want and they feel like they're socially disruptive they feel like they they feel like all the people that become alcoholics that become drug addicts and things like that it, that that's not worth it that that's not the answer that real social change can't come from numbing yourself with drugs and alcohol that you have to do it so that's sort of where the 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 punk version started from but i mean it's, it's since seeped into all kinds of things you'll hear people that don't know anything about where it started uh in the 70s like that are just like yeah i'm straight edge and they and they know they know things about it they're not completely clueless they just you know they they only know the newer stuff i mean you, you can't take something that it's 2019 now it started in like 77 what's that like 40 50 years i mean that's just quick math in my head but it's something that long that you can't control what it does you know you can't control where it goes and what people know about it so it's like a, Sometimes I guess I want to say a lot of people don't understand how something like that isn't something you can just choose as a kid, you know? Um, I mean, for me, it was more my parents were people who struggled with drug addiction. Um, I saw it all throughout my family. I saw – we talked about the, the drug rate on my parents' house. Like I saw the dark side of the criminal aspect of drugs. I saw – the dark side of the social aspect of drugs like and that was one of the things that i was you know grasping to was that i don't have to be a part of that i don't have to worry about going to jail i don't have to worry about being a drug addict i don't have to do any of that which again i mean that's not even the main part of the, the story here. it was just you know I, I i started experimenting with that and not not doing any of that stuff not not trying to follow in my parents footsteps and what have you and it, it just sort of was a 
a world that you get into and sort of stick with that, you know, everybody finds their teenage group, but this was just like sort of a direct response to the craziness growing up as a child. And, and, you know, in this world where, you know, you're sitting there thinking about things through a straight edge lens, you know, things are black and white. You don't have to learn about the gray area. You don't have to make those judgment calls about, you don't have to make judgment calls of whether or not you're a bad person because you drink alcohol. Those things don't really have that complexity level when you're a child or like, you know, when you're 14, 15 years old, I used to like Slipknot. I mean, Jesus, you know, that's it's they're not a terrible band per se, but it's just not something that I would say is something adults get into. Does that make sense? Like as an you don't get into ICP as an adult, you know? That's not a band that you get into when you're like, oh, I'm 40, ICP. Yeah, I get it. Insane Clown Posse. Yeah, I get Killer Clowns. Okay. You, that's that's something you get into as a child. And so that was the mindset you know, that you're at when you're in that age. So it's not something that ended up being permanent, but that's just sort of the twist that you know came into my life when I was in my teenage years. Um I started getting into music and for people who don't know the punk scene in Detroit um, was a pretty violent place. Um, There's I've seen bands play where people start mosh pits where garbage cans and tables are being thrown into the crowd. Like I've seen a tire thrown across a room and hit someone in the head. Like it's there. It's not, what that sounds like necessarily i mean the people that are there know that it's going to get crazy um for the most part but it's like you can get into a world where there's the equivalent of gangs there's the equivalent of people being jumped at a bar there's the equivalent of not even the equivalent there's people getting stabbed there's there is people getting jumped at a bar there is sort of a a gang mentality and things. And this is the thing. They're arguably gangs and it's not, uh, we won't necessarily get into it, but in the punk world, there's a thing called crews. And what a crew is, is sort of like a gang. Think of like a more like a motorcycle club than like a street gangs necessarily. Um, And in the punk world, they necessarily don't get into, um, I guess you could say criminal behavior most of the time. I mean, some do, some don't. It literally just depends on it. But what it started out as was in Boston, these people would sort of run everything themselves. Um, the it, the hardcore punk scene and specifically, they would have people that put on shows, that booked the shows themselves, that did the flyers themselves, that set up the sound equipment themselves, that ran security themselves. Now, the security part's the, I guess you could say the important part because that's where sort of that that gangish mentality comes in, you know? So this is this, this is the scene that I then delve into in my teenage years where that's what I'm looking up to. This is what's cool. This is what these people know what's up, you know, we're, I'm going into places where, you know, somebody comes in and starts pushing somebody cause they don't know where they're at. And 10 guys just jump on top of them and beat the shit out of them. Like that's the place I then go to from this weird storied place as a child where, you know, again, I'm doing community service and all this other nonsense where I'm like, that's where I grew up. And then I had to sort of figure out in my later teen years that like, that's not what's going on. And it just took a, like a big swing in the other direction of um, just being very serious about it. You know, like uh, I, I'm tough. I don't have to I don't need to be like my parents. I don't need to sell drugs or do drugs to 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 be uh, to be a man you know i don't have to not to say be a man like you know i just, you know what i mean that's a turn of phrase you, I, to be a big man as a teenager you know you don't have to do what your parents did and that's that's what i really did and, and it's not like that didn't go far for where i was at i knew i know a lot of people in touring bands that are still active to this day like there i know a lot of musicians there's a very ri- rich history of music in detroit not just the punk scene that i'm talking about but the punk scene also came from a very poor area so like me coming from a very poor area in my childhood i knew how to navigate myself in the new punk scene as a teenager i mean it was different rules kind of but 
it wasn't at the same time. You know, like I, I could figure out the differences and navigate through it and, you know, make friends with people in bands and, you know, go get put on the list to get into these shows and stuff like that. And the people that are throwing these tables and stuff across the room, I then know all these people, you know, I'm chasing that dream now. I'm, I'm the opposite of what my parents are doing. And, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag when you look back on all of that, because there's good and bad parts to all of it. And like, um, I guess you would say the point is that you then get to another point in your life where that starts to slow down. You know, I'm in my later twenties and I have my first child. And that is, it's really one of those things that you can't explain to people. I mean, unless you've, experienced it like there's there's i was looking up something on the internet the other day and i came across something talking about how there are things that people just don't understand until they experience them and i completely agree and start going through all of this information and children's one of them chronic pain is one of them it's like that when you think about it's the chronicness of a lot of this stuff um, you just don't know until you do something like that. So I'm coming out of the punk world. I'm sitting there. I'm an, as an atheist, I'm an anarchist. I'm an animal liberation proponent. Um, all, all the tropes you can come up with for, you know, somebody in the hardcore punk scene is, is I went through most of them. And then all of a sudden I'm a dad, you know? you just sort of get hit with this. I'm rebelling against my parents for the latter part of my life. Now I'm the parent and it just flips everything onto its head where you then have to think about things through a completely different lens. You have to then figure out, why some of those things that you believed were wrong for all of these years were wrong. What was wrong about them? Was it just the context? Was it just the execution? Was it the intent? Was it the lack of care? You just have all of these things that you then have to sort out. And I wasn't, it wasn't something that was planned. You know, I just, kind of dropped into my lap and you you gotta have to deal with it you know before that it was i'm doing what i want with my life it's i'm not going to be like my parents i'm different than my family to when you have a child you realize some of the stuff like what you were doing as a child some of the things that may not have been important about what was happening were important like the fact that I was still spending time with my family, even though it was, you know, they were all hammered at a party and it was midnight and I was allowed to stay up late and, you know, take people's coats and they'd give me tips. You know, like they're, they're, the pro to that is that you did get to spend time with these people. You got that fulfillment out of it. That's the part I enjoyed as a kid. I look past the the silliness of of – it, just doing some of these things and, and not to use the same example, but I mean, being a doorman at a party, you know, the, like that's the kind of silly stuff or like having to stay home and watch your brother and sister when, uh, you know, you're an 11 year old kid and just want to go out and play by yourself. It, these are the types of things that you have a child and have to think about. Was there benefits to that? I mean, some of the stuff I would say no. And, and you know, you take what you learn and then you have to apply it. And so what happens then is I've got a kid. I start thinking like a parent. It's not about me anymore. I start to realize my time's over. That's when people say, you know, life is short. I mean, even if it's not life is short, the time that you had to do what you want usually is. So, I mean, you might not have a short life, but you might not, you know, be – in a state to just do whatever it is that you want. So you sort of learn stuff from that as well. You take and you do your best and you realize that that's what people were doing. Um, 
and there was a really interesting thing because I was, you know, terrified that I was going to be a terrible parent. I turned out to be pretty good at it. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I think I'm a pretty good parent. I'm a good dad. Um, but so the important thing is you take things like what I learned from my parents, not raising me. I mean, I, not like I was feral, but you know, when you're out making your own rules and having to learn life lessons from TV shows, because nobody talks to you, um, that's when you start to sort of feel as though you had done it yourself. But now the pro to that was that I was a kid who was semi-intelligent. So I needed that stimulation. You know what I mean? It's not something that I wasn't at least semi-capable of handling. And now I start seeing that in my children. Uh, my first child, I see that she's doing a lot of same things that I did as a kid. Um, that it that some of these things may not have been the way I remembered them entirely in terms of being a kid and thinking I was, you know, completely fine. That my parents that had no issues or should have had no issues raising. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you realize as an adult when you have your kids, I realize that, yeah, I probably put a lot of stress on them. It may not necessarily justify the things they did, but you learn that part. Everything that you come across from the other end, you then have to re-examine. You then have to think about, you know, is there more to parenting than you could even fathom? And that you have to try to you have to navigate and try to let the right things that are beyond your control filter it. So one of the things that I guess is a struggle now, you know, you have that, that thought revolution when you have your first child. I start getting the hang of it, and, you know, and a few years go by and I have my second child. And that was another thing where even then I was not it's another thing that once you experience it, you go, Oh, this was way different than I thought it was going to be in any capacity. But you have to then look at these same people too. You, you, I start to see my kids and how they're going to need to interact with my family. They're going to need to grow and develop the same way that I did. Not, not in the same context. They're not, I've got to try to do the good things that I know from how I grew up and not the bad things. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm not a straight edge person and that's something that was a very brief period in my time, but that's something that you have to think about what good things did I learn from that? Um, and that's self-control. Um, that's an aspect that I think you could say is good. You can go through all of these things that were positive about being at a place where, you know, a garbage can's flying into somebody's head from across the room. The, the good aspects of that is, is what I took from it. The good aspects are that, you know, I learned from that, that I don't have to be exactly like my parents. I can grow personally. I can then use my own mind to correct the things that my parents had screwed up. And that's something I hope to instill in my own kids um, that, you know, I might make mistakes. I might be a person who is a flawed parent. But one of the big differences is that I learned from that myself. So I won't have the same approach that my parents did. I won't have the same approach to having a relationship with my kids. Like I don't, um, my mom recently passed, so she's gone. Um, my, my dad and I don't talk very much. And I don't think that that's necessarily something that's out of the ordinary. I know people wind up not talking to, I mean, it's not like we don't, I'm not actively not talking to him. You know, I'm not sitting there going, Oh, you know, fuck him. I'm not, I'm not talking to him. No, I'm not. We just don't talk. You know, it's just we're not even estranged. He lives a few blocks away from me. But those are the things that you have to think about uh, as a parent. You have to lead by example. You see that the things that I wanted to do as a kid or the things that I was doing, um, you know, sort of going around and doing what I wanted, going where I wanted, whether it be, you know, smoking cigarettes in an alleyway with my friends as a as a younger kid to uh, you know, hanging out in the back room at a bar that I'm too young to be at is in, in my older years in the punk community. I mean, there's both, there's two ends to the spectrum there and there's positive and negative from all of it. 
And that's, that's one of the things that really changed my whole outview on things. Like this is an example. Once I had my kids, I realized that I needed to go talk to a doctor about anxiety and my mental state and depression. I've struggled with it my entire life. And, you know, I never was motivated myself enough to go do anything about it. But once you have, once I had kids, I, I then start going, well, they need me. It's not about me anymore. There are things that I just have to do. Um, and then you start to put things in context of like, my parents just weren't prioritizing us as children when we were when we were young and that's why we had that experience that we had but it's not like they were doing it maliciously they weren't intentionally trying to screw us up as kids it's not something that they were doing and you think about that from a different lens when you have to think about is some of this stuff just in my blood and i'm gonna screw my kids up too but i think you know as long as you're having that thought it's not gonna be a situation that's going to be as bad as you think because when i think about what i was doing as a kid i think they weren't asking that question i think my parents weren't doing the questioning of is this what my kids need right now is that you know what i mean we weren't the priority well you but were taking it, care of them exactly so i mean if i can take the way and you know the benefit to something like that is that i learned how to take care of kids when i was young I learned how to cook food for them. I learned how to put kids to bed. I learned how to, it sounds crazy to say manipulate them, but you know how there's a certain amount of manipulation you have to do with a kid when you're trying to get them to go to bed. Like, okay, you can have, you know, you can, you got to brush your teeth. You can watch TV tomorrow, but you have to go to bed now. I mean, you, you don't put it in those terms, but it's definitely what you're doing. You're manipulating kids. I mean, that's what, what people do. They, they don't have logic centers in their brain. You kind of just have to, you know? To do that in a way where they don't take offense, to, to to know how to do it seamlessly, to know how to do it – like I guess you could put it this way. I sort of realized too that some of the things that I had talked about today were things that eventually – or eventually translated into me being a good parent. Like um, going through that whole journey of you know, the squalid poor childhood of – tomfoolery and i you know i'm not saying i was aladdin but we were running through the streets pretty similarly stealing whatever we wanted and you know doing all kinds of stuff but so you know you go from that to the other aspect of you know i'm a good person i won't steal i won't do this the ultra moral high ground you go through that whole phase and then realize that it's all it's all it's no none of this is real you know and i don't mean that in the term of like None of this is real in the sense that it's all literally not real. I mean, it's just such a complex system that so much of life is stuff that you can't control. And that's another thing I learned from having kids. Is you, there's so much in life that you can't control. Like there's there, there may be a good deal of stuff that we, that I just talked about today that was completely out of my parents' control. And you could, you could argue a lot of that stuff was completely under the control. Like, I mean, who needs to run somebody over? You know, you could just press the brake. Not something that you need to do. But at the same time, if their lives were so crazy at that time that that drove my dad to a point where he had a little bit of a break, mentally, you could argue that it was a little out. I mean, you can, there's a whole insanity defense in court, you know, where you, you say you're not culpable for your crimes because you literally had no idea what was going on. And I'm not making that argument at all. I'm just saying – you sort of go through and look at everything and see how much of it you can try and try and try to change. And it just won't, you know, uh, you just can't, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, I mean, I, I, I'd love to be a millionaire. There's, there's, there's nothing I can do. I mean, you, I mean, obviously you could argue that it's a capitalist economy. It's a free market. There is things you could do, but then you see how much luck is actually involved. You know, knowing the right person, getting the right opportunity. There's so many people in the world that you may have something that's pure gold that goes nowhere because it's just literally that that spark of luck wasn't there. 
it wasn't the time it wasn't the right place you didn't know the right person it's kind of hard to figure out where you're going with all that i know i've been rambling but uh (laughs) the the whole of life just sort of changes once you flip perspectives i mean sort of later in life i guess like i was saying having kids you sort of start to realize things that you need to change things that you need to do as i eventually started getting into buddhism um i mean i'm not something that believes in like a spiritual god but the practices in that sort of help you or they they help me necessarily understand things in a different way um, they agreed with the things that I'd already thought, you know, and it's something that I use to try to calm myself, to be a better parent. It's it's a tool that you pick up, um, just like a lot of these things that you find when you're looking at them through the other end of the spectrum. You just need to figure out a solution with more complete knowledge. So kids out there that are listening, your parents aren't full of shit. You know, we'll just put that in there and say, kids, listen to your parents. That's what you have to do. I'm a parent. I hope my kids listen to this and that they then do what I need them to do. What What's the name of your podcast? My podcast, uh, our podcast is called Chibli's Playground. It's a board game podcast. It's sort of a tagline. Um, it's a board game podcast because we, we get off on a lot of different kind of tangential things. But that's sort of what we were trying to capture is that, you know, when you're hanging out playing with your friends, you're getting together as a group. You don't just sit there and talk about what you're doing. You know what I mean? We get together. We play a game. We're not talking about that the entire time. We might be talking about what happened to us that day while we're playing it. So it's a a mix of comedy and board games, Um, but just kind of told through the lens of a few people from around the Detroit area. And if so – if any of the things that I've said today sort of give you an impression of a weird place of growing up, uh, we all came from weird places growing up. And that's, I think, what kind of drew us all together. And that's, I think, what kind of gives us our spin on life and in games and camaraderie in general, I guess you could say. But that's sort of what we were trying to capture was that, that it's okay to have come from a strange background and, and just be who you are. Because that's how we are. I mean, you know, we don't fit in every place we go to because of the nature of our hobby. But we're there. We, we're doing it. It's it's still something that, you know, we're not having issues with. We The point is it's okay to be who you are. And if you're a loudmouth idiot who's just saying a bunch of crazy stuff while also entertaining people and talking about board games, it's completely okay.